Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want you to go with me over to Genesis, the 19th chapter, excuse me, the 18th chapter, verse 19, Genesis 18, and verse number 19. I wanna read a statement here. Of course, for the last uh, uh, couple of Sundays, I've been talking about how parents can believe God for their children's salvation. We started this out on uh, the Sunday we dedicated children. We had quite a few babies and small children that were dedicated a few weeks ago to the Lord. And so the Lord laid it on my heart to go into a little more detail about how you raise your children for Christ and how you believe primarily in this, in this small uh, series I'm doing on how you believe God for their salvation. Now, a passage that we've quoted or read every Sunday, we're not gonna read it right now, but we are gonna quote it, and that's in Proverbs 22. It says, verse number six says, train up a child in the way he, is, he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, uh, as I said, I grew up hearing that scripture, but in our church at least, and I think this was a pretty common uh, misunderstanding, we really didn't believe that verse of scripture as it was written. We kind of read it as it's written, but in our mind, we interpreted it or heard it a different way. And the way we actually heard it, as revealed by what we believed and practiced, was like this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, if he departs, he'll still come back. But how many of you understand that's not how that verse is written? It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That means he will embrace the way he should go. He will embrace the things of God, and he will hold them dear and hold on to them and live by them all through his life, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and then pass that on to his or her children. That's what that verse actually means. It's a promise from God that we can, that we can train our children up in the right way and they will never depart from the ways of God. Now, as I said, we, in, in the way I was raised in the congregation that I was raised up in and talking to other people, you know, in different churches, that we didn't have that kind of faith for that. Well, there, there was an, a, a, a unspoken, but a very common fear, and sometimes it was spoken that, well, I'm gonna do my best to raise my children and I hope they turn out right. I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure they turn out right and they love God, but you just never can tell what's gonna happen. And that's not what this scripture tells us. So I've been talking the last two or three Sundays about how you can know for sure and how you can raise your children in absolute confidence as a matter of faith and as a matter of believing and receiving in confidence that your children will grow up to love God and serve God all the days of their lives. We need not have backslidden children. The church should not have backslidden children. It's the plan of God that families, that Christians 
have Christian families, that children grow up in Christian, Christian homes, and that the faith of God, the gospel, the things of God, the relationship with God, that those things are passed down to the next generation 100%. That's the plan of God that we pass these down to our children and they raise up children of their own and they pass it to the next generation and the next generation and that none are lost. None, zero, that's the plan of God. None, zero. Well, if it's, you all agree that that's true, but if it's true that it's the plan of God that none be lost, there must be provision for none to be lost. I didn't get as quite a strong a reaction. If it makes sense that it's the plan of God that none be lost, there must be a way for that to happen. And there must be a way for us to to do our part to ensure that happens. Because you know that it's not all up to God. God has his part, but we have our part. And if the plan is for 100% uh, 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 generational uh, 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 communication from one generation to the next, passing it from one generation to the next, if the plan of God is for 100% of our children to grow up and love God, there must be a way to do it. And if there's a way to do it, there's a way to believe for it. Amen. So we've been over a few scriptures. And uh, so I want to go today and I want to talk about, we talked about Noah for a week or two, different parts, but I want to talk about Abraham today. And I want you to look in verse number 19. This is a verse that I think is real well known. A lot of people have read this, but I, I want to bring out something there that you might not have noticed. In verse 19, God said concerning Abraham, he said, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do justice and righteousness that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now, we'll, we'll look at, at the text a little later in the, in the message, but what the Lord had already spoken to Abraham was, he said, I'm gonna bless you And he said, and this was after uh, uh, Ishmael was born. And God said, no, Ishmael is not the the promised seed. You and Sarah are gonna have a child. And he said that your seed is gonna pass down, the blessing is gonna pass down through that child. And he said, I will make you the father of many nations. And then he said, I will be a God to you and I will be God to your descendants after you. Now that was a promise from God. And here, this is a little later, God is talking about his relationship with with Abraham. And he said, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. Now that's, that's worded a little odd or a little oddly. I have known him that in order that he may do such and such. I have known him in order that he may do such and such. That, that, that word there, known, I have known him in the Hebrew, another way to translate that is I have chosen him. I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. The word chosen there in the Hebrew indicates a position of favor. God favored 
Abraham. He put him in a position of grace and favor. He said, I have a specially chosen Abraham so that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord that I may bring to pass the blessing and the promises that I've made to him. It was necessary for Abraham to pass this faith onto his descendants in order for God to bring the blessing to him. God had made promises to him. He said, you will be, all families of the earth will be blessed through you. You will be the father of many, uh, of many nations. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And he said, and we know from reading the New Testament that this, the ultimate seed of Abraham was Christ. In order for God to bring Christ into the earth, Abraham and his descendants had to pass this faith and this covenant and this blessing down to their children and their children had to receive it and pass it down to the next generation. If that failed anywhere along the way, the promise couldn't come. Notice what he said. Let me get back to it, pages turn. I have chosen him in order that he command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. It's necessary for us to impart these things to our children. Well, if the fulfillment of the blessing was continued upon, contingent upon Abraham's faith and obedience, there had to have been grace and faith available to him. In other words, if God did this and required it, there had to be grace and there had to be faith available to Abraham to see it through because everything we do, we do by faith. The just shall live by faith. It's not religion, it's not good deeds, and it's not just works. It's, it's work, all right, but it's work that is born out of faith. Abraham was the father of our faith. He was a man of faith. Like I said, it was necessary for Abraham to pass this on to his seed in order for the blessing to come to pass to the seed. And I've said this before, that, but the best time to begin believing for the salvation of your children is before they're even conceived. Now, you might be sitting here and saying, well, that ship has sailed. And, and, you know, that's a little late for me. The promises of God never have an expiration date on them. There's never a time stamp on them saying that you have to believe by a certain time. But just like anything else, the sooner you get started, the easier it is. Whenever a symptom comes on your body, that's the time to jump on it right then. Not wait until it gets into a full-blown manifestation of some kind of serious disease. Yes, people get healed. Yes, people get delivered who have stage four, stage you know, four or five cancer. You know, they're on their deathbed. Surely people get raised up from that. But you would, you would agree that it's easier to deal with this before the cancer comes. Believing for health, believing for all of the, uh, of the immunity in your body and so forth to work the way it should, to, to kill cells that shouldn't be there and all of those things. It's better to start ahead of time. But any time is better than no time. And there's promise and faith available to you 
anytime along the way. And where your children is con are concerned, if, if, you, you know, if you haven't had children yet or you're going to have more children, believe God for them now. Go back with me to Genesis 15. We'll see this. Genesis 15. And let's read verses 1 through 6. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. Now, we're going back a little bit. This is after uh, Lot, Lot's, uh, you know, was, was taken and his uh, descendants were taken captive and Abraham went out and, and got all the spoils back and so forth. And, uh, you know, the kings, if you know your Bible history, and we're reading through the Bible right now, we just read this not long ago, but if the... Uh, the kings of, the, uh, of, these, of these nations, you know, they gave all, they offered to Abraham all of the bounty that he had returned and he turned it down. He said, no. He said, I don't want anybody saying that they made Abraham rich. He said, God is my supply. He walked away from a lot of, of assets that day. He, he walked away from a lot of money, a lot of goods, gold and silver and so forth. And it says after these things, right after that happened, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Now that uh, word reward there, your exceeding great reward, that word in the Hebrew for reward means compensation. And it was also translated wages or income, salary. Abraham had just walked away from a huge vast treasure that was rightfully his because he wanted to keep God first and he wanted his reputation to be that God was his source, not men. God honored that and turned around and said, fear not, Abram, because you know fear was probably working on his mind. Boy, I've really blown it now. I could have had all of this, you know, and I could have, I, I, everything would have been easy street. And God spoke to him and he said, don't be afraid. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. He said, I am your abundant compensation. Then Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought Abram outside and said to him, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. What did he believe? Well, what's being discussed here? What's being discussed is Abram walked away from a, a big treasure and God said, don't worry about it. I am going to be your treasure. I'm going to supply your need. And Abram said, what are you going to give me, God? I don't even have a son. I don't even have an heir. He said, all that I've accumulated so far, and he had a lot. He was already rich. He said, everything I have is going to a servant, not even my own flesh and blood. So he's talk, what, what are they talking about? They're talking about his child or his children to come. 
And God said, no, your servant is not gonna be your heir. I'm gonna give you a child of your own. And he took him outside and he said, look up and, 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 and if you can count the stars, just imagine that's how abundant your descendants are gonna be. And Abraham believed that. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now, why is that significant? God judged Abram, Abraham, Abram at this time righteous in response to his faith as a parrot concerning his yet to be conceived seed. Abraham was believing God concerning his yet to be born descendants. And God, so he was believing God as a parent to be concerning his children to be and God judged him righteous. See, God wants to take possession of our children through our, our parents. I'm talking to us as parents. God wants to take possession of the children through the parents' faith before sin gets its mastery over, over them. Now, does that mean that they're not gonna sin? No, it doesn't. But it means that by faith, you can get God involved in your child's life before they get completely enslaved into a life of destruction. We can, we can have the influence of God on them even before they're born. Because you know, God knew you before you were born. Isn't that right? He knows your children before they're born. And your faith can begin to work on their behalf before they even come into this world. Amen. Parenthood and childhood are of divine origin, aren't they? Didn't God design parenthood? Wasn't it God who said to Abraham, I mean to, 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 uh, to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth? God said that. So parenthood and childhood are of God's design. Well, if they're of God's design, then everything connected to them must be a matter of faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anything God designs, there's, a, there's an application of faith for it. Amen. If my faith is to, I, some of these statements I'm reading here today, I got directly out of Andrew Murray's book that we give out to, to new parents. And it's, it's, a, it's a masterful book. It's, it was out of print for many, many years. That's why we didn't give it out. We couldn't find it. I read it quite a few years ago. It was a tremendous blessing to me. Like I said earlier, I didn't know all of these things when I started out. I just knew Proverbs 22, 6 said, if I train up, train up my child in the way he should go, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That's all I knew, and I just locked onto it. And I never doubted it after that. But since then, you know, I've learned some things, and, and a lot of what I learned was from Andrew Murray's book. And so it, it's back in print, and we give it to, new, uh, to parents when they're dedicating babies. One of these statements is, if my faith is to fully honor God, it must reach beyond myself and embrace my children, grasping the promises of God for them too. If I want to truly magnify God's grace with my life, if I want to be totally consecrated to God's service, and if I want to accomplish the most for the advancement of the kingdom of God, then it is especially important that as a parent, I believe in labor. Now here's where most parents, Christian parents have such a difficulty 
because we all believe in the involatility or the, or the absolute authority of human will. We all know that we are all given a human will and we can all decide for ourselves whether to serve God or not serve God. We know that. And we know that every person who is born again is born again because of a personal decision they make, not a decision somebody makes for them. We all know that. So parents have a big difficulty because they see that God promises mercy and salvation for sinners and that it's free to all. And they've believed that for themselves, for their own salvation. But it's as if the promise with regard to their children is not equally as simple and certain. In other words, they can't understand how one person can so confidently believe for another. Have you followed me? It's not really a dilemma. It's just a, I didn't understand it. Fortunately, I didn't, I didn't question it that much. When I got a hold of, of Proverbs 22, 6, when I, right shortly after I got back in the fellowship with the Lord, I just believed that. And I, at the time, I was beginning to discover, you know, how faith works. I was reading everything I could get my hands on about faith and the authority of the believer. And I just, I'm telling you, the faith of God just rose up in me and I claimed that verse of scripture and I really didn't question how it worked. But I know a lot of Christians do question, how can I believe confidently believe that my children will be saved when they have their own will involved and they can decide for themselves and maybe they will decide not to. This fear has plagued Christian parents for generations. And like I said, I grew up around that, that, that fear. We said one thing, but there was a fear lurking. And there was always this concern, well, I'm gonna do all I can, but I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed. Because there were so many examples in the church of good Christian people, parents who lived right, who honored God, who served God uh, with all of their heart, they were like model Christians, and yet their children didn't turn out to serve God. There was this myth of the preacher's kids. There was this myth that the preacher's kids were the worst in the church. Well, that's not true. They're, they weren't any worse than anybody else's, but because they were the preacher's kids, they stood out a little bit more because everybody was looking at them. And I always said it like this, if the preacher's kids were the worst kids, it's because they hung out with the deacon's kids. <laughs> I don't know which way that worked. But because we had examples of children not turning out right that we thought should have if anybody's kids were gonna turn out right, surely brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so's kids would turn out right and they turned out not to love God at all and just rebellious against God all of their life. Never, never were saved. I remember when I was in uh, Marietta not this January, but last January, and Oral uh, Roberts' son, Richard Roberts, spoke. And that's the first time I'd heard Richard Roberts preach in many, many years. And he made the statement that he was 19 years old when he got saved. And my, I don't know if, if, if the cameras weren't on me, they were on him, but if they'd been on me, they'd have probably seen my eyes kind of bulge out. What do you mean? You were Oral Roberts' son? 
You were in these crusades. He talked about being in these healing crusades with his dad when he was a little boy and hearing the gospel preached with such power and people, blind eyes being opened and crippled people walking on. And he said he was 19 when he got saved. But see, thinking back, I saw a lot of that. I saw young people grow up in my church with godly parents and they never bowed their knees. There's one person I'm thinking of right now, a man that was my sister's age, a little older than, she was older than me, he was a little older than her, I think. And now, the, the, his mother came to church faithfully all of her life. I don't know much about the dad. But the mother came to church all of her life, brought all of her kids to church. She had a son, and I knew him, he's older than me, but I knew him. No one has a memory of him ever coming to the altar ever bowing his, his head, ever confessing Christ, ever asking forgiveness, ever. He was stone hard resistant against God all of his life. And he was killed in his mid, mid years, in his 40s, I guess. I don't remember how old he was, but quite a few years ago. Far as any, and he never went to church when he, when he was old enough to not go anymore. He never came back. Well, you can only imagine he left... This, this earth, you know, without God. You don't know, but he could have cried out to God. I don't know what the circumstances were of his death, but what a tragic thing. See, we saw that. And so people had that in their minds. Well, what if, what if, what if? What if it doesn't work? How can I be sure? It's as if the promise of God with regard to their children is not equally as simple and certain. They cannot understand how one person can can so confidently believe for another. The prevailing view is that God has established a general connection between seed time and harvest and between faithful parenting and training and the salvation of their children. But you know, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a direct and certain effect of seed time and harvest. See, in the natural, we... we we know, generally speaking, that there's a principle of seed time and harvest because everything produces after its own kind. But you do know that sometimes you put uh, some kind of a seed in the ground in a garden or in a, in a field, and sometimes that particular seed just doesn't produce. And so there's this idea, well, it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. The, the principle is true, but in the natural realm, there are times when, when things don't always work in the natural the way they're supposed to work and that's because of the curse that's on the earth. But when it comes to spiritual things, Galatians tells us do not be deceived. And it's, Why would God say don't be deceived? Because it's easy to be deceived in this regard. He said do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall be he also reap. One translation I like is my favorite. It says, you cannot make a mockery of God. For, I think it says a man's harvest in life depends entirely. Yeah, it says, don't be under any illusion. You cannot make a fool of God. A man's harvest in life will depend entirely on what he sows. When you, and then it goes on to say, who sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows of the spirit 
to the Spirit, will of the Spirit leap, reap life everlasting. And then the next verse says, do not be weary in doing good. Don't be weary in sowing to the Spirit. That tells me that there is not just a general connection between seed time and harvest, between uh, faithful parenting and a good outcome of your children. There is an absolute certain connection that if you, if you sow properly and believe properly, if you do what the Bible says, train and believe, you can be certain. Either that or Galatians 6, 7, 8, and 9 is not true. According to this unscriptural view, in neither case, the seed time nor the training is, is absolutely certain of success. People believe the promises merely express the tendency and the hopeful result of proper training. That's really the way we were raised. That if you do everything right with the children, bring them to church and set the right example and, and live right and so forth and have them in Sunday school and, and they learn the Bible. If you do everything right, hold on, keep your fingers crossed that your children turn out all right. Well, it's obvious that such a general principle with its possibility of failure can never give the rest that Hebrews talks about that they who have believed enter into rest. See, when you've entered into faith in something, there's a rest that comes, on, comes down and settles down on the inside of you. You know that you know that you know that you have it and, and nothing can pers persuade you otherwise. When my children were young and growing up and to this day, once I made my claim of faith and I claim Proverbs 22, 6, how many, let me ask you this. How many of you, of you who are born again live with a, with a nagging uh, thought in the back of your mind that one day you might backslide and not go to heaven? Anybody here live with that? You don't have to have that. You're not supposed to have that. You're not supposed to have that in the back of your mind that, you, that one day you might backslide. I don't know about you, but I never, once I got back into fellowship with the Lord, I realized this is what I've been looking for all my life. Now, my confidence isn't in me, it's in God. I know what I've committed to him, he will keep. And maybe some of you, maybe that raised your hand, wasn't really, you weren't really sure of what I was asking. But I think most people would agree that your confidence in your salvation is absolutely ironclad. Nobody can shake it out of you. That creates a rest on the inside of you. You don't go through life tormented. Will I be saved? Will I? Well, maybe one day I'll backslide. Are you kidding me? You really believe one day you might backslide? No. You know better than that. Because you know what you've purposed to do and you know the God who's keeping you. So there's no, there's no confusion. There's no fear. We ought to be equally as certain concerning our children. Amen. How can one exercise steadfast faith for a blessing they're not sure he offers? So you can't believe God for something unless there's a certainty that God offers that. Otherwise, you're just making a positive statement. See, a lot of people try to believe things but they don't have the word for it. So what they're calling faith is really hope. 
because they're hoping something's going to come to pass, but they don't have God's word for it. In order to have faith, and Abraham had faith, if he had faith, there had to have been the word for it. That faith had to have come from the word of God because that's where faith comes. Isn't that right? Faith needs the assurance that God's purpose and promises are clear and unmistakable. Then alone can it cast all its care upon God's faithfulness. That was the kind of promise that was given to Abraham and that's the kind of promise that's given to every Christian parent today. God's word is the only sure ground for faith. Now, number one, we've already talked about what, what, is the, what is God's word on this? Number one, God has given us the very distinct and definite promise that if we train up our children and the way they should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. That means they'll embrace it when they're young and they'll follow with God all the days of their life. Now, that's the word of God. That's the word of God. And like I said, when I was young, that's all I had. But go back to Genesis 17. Go back to Genesis 17. And let's look again at what God said to Abraham. He said, I will establish, verse seven, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your descendants after you. Now, if you back up and look at verse number four, this is where God said to Abram, Abraham, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, if you know your book, if you know your New Testament over in Romans chapter four, this is the passage that's quoted in Romans four. Abraham was like unto God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, calls those things which be not as though they were, who believed, so shall your seed be. I will make you a father of many nations. In Romans four, this is the passage that's quoted right here. And it says, Abraham believed it, and God counted it unto him for righteousness. But that's not the whole passage. God's still talking here. And in verse number seven, what Abraham also believed was God said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations. I'll be God to you and I'll be God to your descendants after you. God has promised to be the God of our seed. This promise applies to us because we're the seed of Abraham. The promises that were made to Abraham were made to the Christian because we're the, the ultimate seed of Abraham was Christ and we're in Christ. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So this promise is our promise. God has promised to be God to you and to your descendants after you. That's what Abraham believed. Whenever God gives us a promise, he expects us to accept it by faith. Now, now get this, listen real carefully. God's promise to Abraham concerning Isaac was not conditional on Isaac's believing. God's promise to Abraham, not to Isaac, 
Later, God appeared to Isaac and reiterated the blessing of Abraham to him. God appeared to, to Jacob and reiterated the blessing of Abraham to him. Isaac, Jacob, all of the descendants of Abraham, God reiterated the same blessing and the same promise to them and they each one individually believed it for themselves. Isaac believed what God said to him because God said it directly to him. But we're not talking about Isaac's faith. We're talking about Abraham's faith. Abra the promise to Abraham was, I will be a God to you and to your descendants after you. That promise wasn't made to Isaac. It was made to Abraham before Isaac was even born. God's promise to Abraham concerning Isaac was not conditional on Isaac believing because Isaac wasn't even there. God's promise to Abraham concerning Isaac was intended to be the source and the security of Isaac's believing. Isaac believed God personally because of the influence of Abraham's faith. Amen. It's because Abraham believed he would, God counted his, Abraham's faith unto him for righteousness. Abraham's faith concerning his seed obligated God to do something with his seed. It Abraham's faith obligated God to reveal himself to, to, to Isaac. He said, well, I don't like the idea of you saying, you know, I can obligate God to do something. This obligation isn't a begrudging obligation. This is an, this is an obligation that God intends. This is, this is something that God wants. This is something that God's planning. But he needs your faith involved in order to bring it to pass. God intends to save your children. But he needs your faith to be involved. And when a parent believes God, a Christian parent believes God that their children will be saved, it obligates God to get a hold of their children and reveal himself to them sufficiently to seal the deal. Yes, that child will believe for himself. No, you can't believe for him, but you can believe on his behalf that God will get to him. That's how it works. And so as we stand in covenant with God as our God and see that he offers to be the God of our seed, we have the right in faith to claim this promise for ourselves and to be assured of our children's salvation as firmly as our own through faith in the covenant-keeping God. Now, now to illustrate this a little bit better, let me give you four elements of the promise to Abraham. This is Genesis 17, 7. Let me give you four elements elements here of this promise, excuse me, that reveal the certainty of it to our children. Number one, the matter of the promise is the same in each case. I will be a God to you, A. B, I will be a God to your seed after you. So the matter of the promise is the same to you and your children. God stands in the same relationship to the child is to the father. The believing parent and the unconscious child have the same place before him in this promise. You say, well, my child is just little. He doesn't know. Or maybe my children aren't even here yet. God knows them. 
God knows who they are. God stands in the same relationship to the father or to the child as to the father. So the matter of the promise is the same. I'll be a God to the one, I'll be a God to the other. The certainty of the promise is the same on both parts. I will be is certain. Not I might be, not hope that I might be, cross your fingers that I might be. I will be a God to you. I will be a God to your seed, to your descendants. The promise is the same. But the promise isn't made to them, it's made to you. The condition of the promise is the same in each case. The blessing for the parent and child is offered on the one condition of the faith of the parent. The blessing for parent and child is offered to the parent on the one condition of the parent's faith. Now God deals with the child separately. Say, don't be concerned about what what the child's going to do. God's wanting to know what are you going to do? What are you going to believe? The promise is to you as a parent. I'll be a God to you. Can you receive that? Yeah. Well, can you receive I'll be a God to your descendants after you? Yeah. It's all in the same, it's all in the same verse. So the condition of the promise is the same. The blessing for the parent and the child is offered on the one condition of the faith of the parent. If the parent's faith accepts this for the child, God will see to it that his faith is not disappointed. If you're in faith as a parent, God will work it out. And here's the the interesting thing. The recipient of the promise is the same. It's not as if the first half of this promise, Genesis 17, 7, the promise is I will, be a, I will be God to you and I'll be God to your descendants. It's not as if the first half of the promise is given to the father and the second half to the child. No, it's the same person to whom the two parts of the promise are made. The promise is made to the father. In the first part, the father accepts it for himself. In the second part, he accepts, accepts it as a father for his child. The granting of the blessing, in other words, the answer, the granting of the blessing is not held in suspension to wait for the child's faith, but is given to the father's faith in the assurance that the child's faith will follow. Well, how can I, how can I know? How can I be sure? What if? What if he does? What's the difference in, in asking that and in asking, well, well, what if the tumor doesn't go away? What if the money doesn't come? (laughs) Just canceled your faith. But what if my child doesn't turn out right? It's not the tumor's responsibility. It's not the money's responsibility to believe with you. It's your responsibility to believe what God said to you. It's not your responsibility to believe for the child. It's it's your responsibility to believe what God said to you and let God deal with the child. And if you believe it, he'll deal with your child. He'll bring your child in. And he'll keep your children all the days of their life. Now, we prove this. We work this out. Now, that doesn't mean that we weren't challenged 
But when Steve and Greg were growing up and they showed some signs maybe that, that they were considering other things, we just, we just took it to the Lord in prayer. You know how long we prayed? About that long. We said, Lord, I'm gonna remind you, we believe you that our children will always live for you, always. They both got saved very young, filled the Holy Spirit very young. Well, they grew up, you know, they had, they had little times in their lives where they seemed like they wanted to waver a little bit. We went to the Lord and said, we just reminded him. We didn't fast and pray all night. We just reminded him. And then we used our authority. Said, nope, we take authority over that lying spirit. We take authority over that ungodly influence. We break its power not having our children. We did that more time than once. What were we doing? We were, we were, same thing you do when you're believing God for anything. And circumstances arise and it looks like it's not coming to pass. You say, no, you don't, devil. God, I remind you, you know what I believe and I know what you said. Now, devil, you take your hands off my body. You take your hands off my, my, my finances. You take your hands off my home. Isn't that right? There's no difference. The principles of faith are the same in every arena. But we think where, where, where our family is concerned sometimes, like I said, the, 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 the idea or the suggestion is, well, the promises of God are a little less, less clear. They're a little vague there. They're not. They're not at all vague because the promise is given to you concerning you and your child. Oh, praise God. That's good news. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm so glad I, I learned how to believe God. I didn't know all of the, all of the explanation or, or the foundation for everything, but I just knew that if God said it, I'll hold on to it. And once we made the claim like that for our children, we never doubted it. I've never doubted my salvation one day since I got back into fellowship with the Lord. Not one day has it ever been any kind of a, of a, of a serious idea at all that I might not serve God all of my life. I, it's, just, it's just the most absurd idea. If it comes to your mind, it's like, you know, the, the craziest thing you can think of. The same thing where our children are, are concerned. That's the way God wants parents to approach raising their children. Amen. Now, I'm gonna to talk tonight, uh, give some more uh, practical, hopefully I can get that far, I'll give some more practical uh, uh, illustrations of commanding your children. God told Abraham, command his household after him. That doesn't mean shaking your finger, waving your finger in your children's faith, face. There's a lot of different ways we command our children. And it's not all just verbal. Faith itself commands Training commands. So if I, if I can get into that far of it tonight, I want to talk about uh, some of the practical things. And I'm going to tell you some things about how we raised our children that might shock you. And you think, are you serious, Pastor? You, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tip it. But you, you might be surprised in some of the things we didn't do, maybe that you thought for surely you would do. And we didn't. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. But I'm telling you, faith practices what it, what it says. It believes it and it acts on it. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. God's good. His word is true. 
my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids are and will serve God. Know God, be born again, filled with the Spirit. That's just a matter of faith. Praise the Lord. Yours can too. Yours can too. Amen. Well, let's stand. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Father, we honor you today. We thank you, Lord, for the confidence of your word, for the assurance of the promises of God that when you say we can do something and you will, you will guarantee a certain outcome, then we believe that. We take you at your word. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Lord, there's nothing more precious in life than knowing that our own flesh and blood, our children, love you, know you, are born again, and will be in heaven with us. We can't, we can't always be sure about our parents. Can't always go the other direction. But where our children are concerned, Father, the, we, there's, there's something in the heart of every parent. You don't want to be separated from your child for eternity. And thank God you've given us this plan. Thank you, Father, that you've made these commandments and these statements commanded Abraham you gave him promises that he could believe and see it come to pass and we see the fruit of it today all over the earth billions of people born again because Abraham stood in faith for his spiritual seed glory to God Father, thank you that, that we have that same ability. It's the same faith. It works the same in every arena. We take your word, face value, and we act on it. Glory to God. And we can be assured in our hearts that what you've said, you will perform. You will do it. You're well able to perform it. You're well able to bring it to pass. And not only able, but you will do it. We thank you for that, Father. Glory to God. Where our children are concerned, future generations, we thank you, Father, for 100% security, 100% salvation in our homes. Glory to God. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.